When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Outkick 360 is back alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. David Reed and Jacob Swanson making the show happen for us here. How are we doing? 420. Uh, I, I, rem- <laughs> I remember in high school, there there were like two guys that would walk the halls. Like So, Paul, like my era, unfortunately, was the Columbine era, right? And so they outlawed this, but it was the trench coat group. They outlawed the trench coat uh, trench coat guys, but it was they were called thrashers. Like we had the the preps, like, the athletes, the thrashers, the stoners. Hold on, what did they thrash? Did they call themselves? Did they give themselves this name? No, it was, this is it was like the little them. it was like the group like, your little your little uh, cliques. This is like the Rigmas from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> was it like a gang, or that was just that was the group like the grunge kids? Them? Like you and I, I are virtually the same age. I don't ever recall calling. I, no, I know what you're talking about. I can see the guys walking around halls in trench coats, but I just we called them like alternative, <laughs> not thrashers. Uh, yeah, uh, alt, alternative. Alt thrash. Well, yeah, alt thrash. Anyway, um, we, there you know, you had the Abercrombie and Fitch army. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they they would walk the halls in starting in like January and talk about Smoke Fest, which would be on 420. So every every year on 420, I think of Smokefest 2001. <laughs> when I think of 420, I think of uh, someone at our school got suspended for writing 420 on a locker, and the teacher who saw it had to ask what it meant, had no idea. Yeah. And so another kid told the teacher what it meant, and then the kid got suspended, which prompted me to think, if you write something down and the teacher doesn't even know the meaning, or people in the school don't know the meaning, then is it offensive? Right, like if it's so mysterious well, to the teacher that it's is, well, but they were riding on the on school property. That's dumb. Yeah, but I think that, I don't think they would have had a problem if it wasn't four twenty. That was right. Oh, I'm old enough. So something that could be wiped off. I I'm think it old wasn't enough permanent. and went to a, a small enough private school that whatever drug culture was going on was very and a couple kids got tossed, but it's very behind the scenes. <laughs> I remember you guys get a kick out of this. Uh, we had an underground candy bar <laughs> thing going on. You know, because you couldn't get your, we didn't have vending machines and stuff, and people needed. <laughs> candy bars were not allowed? Well. Gonna get you candy. bought, like, no, did you have were, a guy you could go to to get the yeah, candy bar? right. He, he bought cheap stuff and sold stuff. Because there were no vending machines in the school? Yeah, he had a side business. Yeah, that's a great young he, entrepreneur. He, yeah, and he made good money. And so I remember Arlene Wacker, my history <laughs> teacher, Wacker, bad name. Uh, Arlene, a also a bad name. Arlene Wacker. She's the second best teacher. Second We've already uncovered the Thrashers, and now Arlene Wacker. Wow. She was the second best teacher. What in was school. her husband's name? I have no idea. She was the second best teacher in the school, and she at assembly made this impassioned thing. 
that she Mr. Richard Wacker to tolerate, you. She's not going to tolerate, and the faculty are not going to tolerate any more of this. Uh, if you were busted with this, you were getting like double detention, serious problems, blah, blah, blah. I, of course, pay no heed to this. I have got to have a Snickers this morning. I immediately go, I think, to Mark Bromfeld, maybe was the guy selling. and like Much more traditional name, Mark Bromfeld. You know, it probably cost him 50 cents. I paid $2 yeah. for it. Busted. Boom. Wacker walks right this, into the transaction. Is this guy like a hedge fund manager now? or yeah, I see this What guy, a brilliant like, kid. I don't know. He's doing well for himself. He went on to I, star on Amazon. On it's Jeff Facebook. Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> I went to school with Jeff Bezos. That's, I, what, that's the kicker of the story. I see him on Facebook. I don't know what he's into. And I'm not positive it was him. There were a couple guys that did it. I've never heard this story. This is awesome. Yeah. This is great. But, I mean, there was a whole It reminds me of the pencil trade in our elementary school, but that was more out front. This was more of a black market. But I don't know how. He, how he or the guys that were doing it didn't get busted more because people would come out, you know, the bell would ring, you'd come out of a class, and there'd be like four or five people yeah. that had to have something to, you know, make it through the next period. <laughs> Was it just him or did he have like runners for it? Did he have mules? <laughs> well, we weren't that big, so I think it was primarily just him. I'll have to do some research on yeah, we this need to and, know this. and develop more information. It's also funny to think about the teacher seeing a bunch of kids, Hopped like a on. bunch of yeah. meth heads, run to a backpack in between classes. <laughs> and immediately, if you're the teacher, thinking, well, this kid's dealing drugs in my school. All right, everybody's going to this kid and getting stuff out of, and, they, they and it's it a butterfinger <laughs> that he's handed to people, yeah. that, and just laughing at, oh, he's selling candy they bars knew out of his backpack. They it, it wasn't drugs because whatever drugs were going on was much more clandestine. Yeah, um, I see a big like uppity private school like yours, like speedballs being more of the choice and not a four twenty <laughs> type. Uh, that it's like I too low level for well, your you school. Well, you shouldn't use the word big. I mean, my graduating class was under nine. Well, I mean, like prestigious, like a rich private school. I came in this morning. I came in this morning. And I was Wasn't disappointed in, in Jakob Swanson because I wanted the the details. I said, "Give me the history of 420," and he he had to look it up. He didn't know. They stumbled. A bunch of stone kids stumbled into the number by accident. See, I'd, sure. I'd always been told it was from High Times Magazine, and that they had there was like an old story about 420, like PM meeting up to smoke, and High Times Magazine turned it into a holiday. Yeah, their holiday. Is that the reason? I don't know. I don't I'm, know. I'm not exactly sure of the of the reason. That's why we have these trusty but computers. That's why we have Jacob. I thought that's why we had Jacob here. And uh, we I told you guys about Seven Up. I was 13 or 14 years old and went to Virginia Beach for uh, my my family lives there, and my cousin took me to my first like legitimate <laughs> stoner concert where everybody's out pregame. You went for the pregame festival, not the actual. Uh, concert, the pre-concert festival. It was Phil Lesh and Friends. It was like half of Fish. <laughs> See, I knew it would be connected yeah. to Fish. And uh, so, so we went, and I learned for the first time what 7-Up meant, and I heard that probably a thousand times, <clears throat> walking, just walking into the venue. What does 7-Up mean? It means they were undercover cop over there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you guys ready for this origin of 420? Yes. We're going to enlighten the audience today. In 1971, Five high school students in San Rafael, California, used the term 420 in connection with a plan to search for an abandoned cannabis crop based on a treasure map made by the grower. So Calling the themselves the Waldos because their typical hangout spot, it's like the Thrashers we were talking about, because their typical hangout spot was a wall outside the school, the five students, Steve Capper, Dave Reddicks, Jeffrey Knoll, Larry Schwartz, and Mark Gravich, 
designated the Louis Pasteur statue on the grounds of San Rafael <laughs> High School as their meeting spot and 4.20 p.m. as their meeting time. This sparked a story Smart. in High wow. Times Magazine mentioning 4.20 as a time to smoke and then a 4.20 holiday started in 1991. But this all originated in 1971 with five high school students. I think people are a little over-impassioned about now, it. Yeah. Now, read that and think of a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> the yeah. Waldos. This might actually, given Nicolas Cage's career arc, this may be his next role. <laughs> he may actually play one of the high school students Where at 60 years Nicolas old. Where is Nicolas Cage? He was hosting, and I didn't watch it, but he hosted a Netflix series about the history of curse words. Oh, yeah. You were fired up for this. And you each, each episode will focus on a different curse word. You're yeah. fired up about this program, but you haven't watched it I haven't yet? watched it. It's, it's on Netflix, though. Yeah. I watched the first episode. It was not... Is not something I'm going back for. I watched it uh, during our hiatus from January to March. I watched one episode, thought it was going to be binge-worthy. It sucked. Really? Yeah, Did he have a guest on it? It or was sucked. It just it's completely him? scripted, um, and it's not entertaining. It's more like historical, and even the history is not that interesting. interesting. I'm out. Hmm. All right. They start with the F word. If they if they can't get the F word over, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to watch the second episode. You're not coming back for uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever's next. I'm yeah. out. I'll let you make that decision for me. Hit us up on Twitter, at Outkick360. FanDuel.com slash OK360 is where you can get the best bets. $1,000 risk-free bet for new users. And you can do that by signing up at the link right there on the screen. FanDuel.com slash OK360, up to $1,000 back if you lose your first bet. Risk-free for new users and FanDuel. The Denver Broncos reportedly calling up the Atlanta Falcons, trying to trade up to the fourth overall pick, or at least inquiring on what it would take to get there. Where's Denver? Nine. Denver's at nine. It's not a terrible spot for Atlanta, though if they've got their heart set on, on uh, a non-quarterback, you're probably, uh, you know, if it's Kyle Pitts, you're, you're probably losing him. Um, but it's not a bad move for Denver. I, I don't think Denver gets enough flack for how poorly they've done post-Manning. I mean, it's been a disaster with the Brock Osweilers. And, uh, Paxton Lynch. And Paxton Lynch, and now Drew Locke, who I've seen enough of to know he's not the guy. Um, and quite frankly, John Elway, to me, should have been in trouble. He did the smart thing. He, he handed it over mm-hmm. to uh, an outside GM and backed off into a, you know a, a executive role, not responsible for personnel. But th- they've done a terrible job at quarterback. And that's one of those teams that I'd say you got to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying until you find a guy. Good defense, defensive-minded coach, but uh, they're not, they're not there at quarterback. Now, if you love, tra- now you have to love two again because they could surprise. You know, we we everybody thinks it's Mac Jones um, at at three to San Francisco, but you don't know for sure. So you've got to love two guys at four because you don't know who's going at three. <clears throat> so Woody Page of the Denver Gazette says it's it's Justin Fields or Trey Lance that they want. Okay. Well, that's reasonable. If they want one of those two guys, Atlanta. Now, I would say this about Atlanta. Yes, you may be sacrificing getting the best non-quarterback in this draft, but what you're getting in return is going to include a first-rounder next year and all of a sudden, this thing where you get your quarterback of the future now because you're never going to be high again, 
Well, if you have two first-rounders next year and, and you see the end of Matt Ryan, well, you can get your quarterback next year then if you feel like you have to. And you can get somebody very good at nine that helps you win this year with Matt Ryan. So that's got to be pretty tempting for Atlanta if, if Denver's making the full offer. And we know what those full offers to make a move like that are worth. Well, how much do you hate it if you're Denver that word got out that you called? Well, days, why? This, this happened 10 days bell. before the draft. <laughs> because it rings the bell for somebody else to yes. call? Yeah, well, how, how unlikely so, is it to get out? Well, there are reports <laughs> that the Eagles could trade back up in the first round if a quarterback slides, the right quarterback were to slide down. Well, the Patriots. Well, the Patriots are uh, well, yeah. I would also think about it as a player to trade up to get a quarterback. Yep. So it sounds to me like the Patriots are thinking in terms of who's going to fall to them. You know, and can they take advantage if, if the guy they like or a guy that they like falls uh, enough to the Patriots that they can, again, kind of take advantage See, of the market? I, that, that is, that's what the Patriots, I think, would normally do. Yeah, but maybe not now. They're in a go-for-it mode. <clears throat> well, not even that. Like, I, they, they, they went the opposite route in free agency because they felt like they were bidding against four teams instead of 14 this offseason because of the salary cap structure. That's why they went all in on a lot of free agents. They said, hey, the situation across the league is a little weird, salary cap-wise. We're in a decent spot money-wise, and we're about one of five teams that can say that. So let's go after the pool of free agents now because we're not going to be bidding against many other teams. We can win the bids, get the players we want, and go all in in free agency in a year where no one else is willing to do that. Is this a year where they're also willing to trade their draft capital to move up to get their quarterback? I still think, you know, Denver moving up is probably wants to assure itself, A, that nobody else trades up ahead of it, mm -hmm. and B, to be ahead of Carolina at eight, which could still take a quarterback if somebody it likes is there. No sure thing with Sam Darnold and very determined to get a good quarterback. You know, Cincinnati's not taking a quarterback at five. Miami, we don't think, is taking a quarterback at six, though that's not a definite thing either. They could do something. Um, and, the, and then you're talking about who else could come up. The Eagles could come up. Mm -hmm. the, the Eagles are at 12. The Patriots could come up there at 15. So you're guarding against those teams getting ahead of you or if you're at Denver. But there's also a potential that those teams don't come up and Denver could sit at nine and get, if not the fourth quarterback, the fifth quarterback. Could. Which could well be Lancer Fields. But, yeah, I don't think you can get Fields at nine. I think. Somebody's coming up or he's I he's think someone gone. would come up to, to trade ahead of you to make, to make sure that they, they get Justin Fields. See, here's Justin the thing. Fields here's is, is the, to me, the most underrated quarterback of this group. Uh, because we have talked so much over the last month of Mac Jones. Trey Lance. Uh, he's got a lot of unknown to him. A lot. A lot and, of unknown. And because, he needs, he's going to need time, too. I don't think he's a guy you drop in on opening day. Right. You're going to need to buy him some time, which is fine, but you've got to have an alternate plan. To me, if you're, if you're looking for an alternate, if you're Denver, and you're looking for an alternate plan for what they have in Drew Locke, who's going into year three, yeah, I think so. You can um, buy yourself some time with Locke. Yeah, well, Justin Fields could come in and compete for the job. I don't know. I don't see Trey Lance the same way. 
And that's only because of the limited amount of time that we have seen him at the at the level we've seen him play. Where it's, you know, one read, and it's not his fault. It's right. it's a one read and go, and his athleticism and elite talent takes over. He's not played that much. and Well, he played one game last year. Right. And and he's played at a low level. Right. Also not as fault. So did Wentz. But here's the thing. Um, so if we go at four... Atlanta's been tabbed a lot with Pitts, right? Who else have we seen him tabbed with? Trey Lance. With Lance. So it's either it's either a quarterback, and if it's not a quarterback, it's probably Pitts. Cincinnati at five, Sewell or Chase, mm-hmm. right? And that's a, that's a big decision there. We haven't talked a lot about them, but they're going one of two ways there to help Burrow, either with protection, which would be my vote, or a weapon, but it's hard for him to throw to that weapon if he doesn't have a beat of time to throw mm-hmm. him that weapon. And you got to keep the guy healthy. Miami, I don't know who, who's Miami. You know, they want weapons for Tua. Also, well, that could be the Miami. That depends on what Atlanta does and what happens with Pitts. Kyle Pitts is going to Miami at six if he's there. If he's there. If he's not there, maybe a receiver, maybe Chase, maybe uh, Waddle. Yep. Lions at seven, they're a little bit of a mystery with the new regime. Not not quite sure. Panthers at eight, I think also, uh, you know, Pitts isn't going to be there. Uh, could be a quarterback, could be an offensive lineman. Broncos at nine, we're thinking going up. Dallas could be the first cornerback. Yep, mm-hmm. um, that's likely. So. A lot of discussion today with the NFL draft. We're going we're gonna to hit on it uh, throughout this hour. And we'll get to some Titans-specific topics coming up at the Tennessee Hour, along with some college football headlines, including the Tennessee Vols, the Nashville Predators uh, winning last night, doing some nice things in their playoff run, and much more. But when we come back, Paul sent a text to the group last night that said, hey, I'm ready to riff on character flaws across the league in the NFL draft. We do that next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. You can find us on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter, and you can find the podcast literally anywhere. Find the link to everything available at Outkick 360, both on Twitter and on Facebook. We hope you'll like and subscribe to all of the feeds. Greg Cosell of NFL Films joins us starting tomorrow on a weekly basis every Wednesday. 12.30 Eastern, 11.30 Central, the very best film analysis from Greg Cosell of NFL Films tomorrow discussing all things NFL Draft right here on Outkick 360 and then the Greg Cosell podcast exclusive to the Outkick Network will debut on Thursday afternoon. Paul, some character concerns for Panay Sewell, for instance. Albert Breer in his weekly column um, pointed this out in Monday Morning Quarterback. Character concerns not just for Sewell, but others in at the top of this NFL draft, which makes you think what? Well, I've been thinking this all along, that uh, it, for this draft, I think you have to be particularly careful um, because you haven't been able to get close to these guys in an individual way outside of these five Zoom conversations that you could have with them. 
Um, you know, how much do you trust your scouts in terms of getting close to the people who are close to these guys? A lot of that's also taking place in phone calls and stuff. Um, I think last in, in campus visits where you're talking to the secretary, the janitor, and the people that, you, that you've known. Um, and then the opt-outs uh, add another layer of concern because these guys in another year of maturation haven't been around those people who give you that added insight beyond the head coach, the coordinator, and the position coach. So I would go into it with a degree of fear <clears throat> and the taking less risk. I just wanted to read that one piece of Breer's column, which tied directly into to this thinking and has kind of put me on more alert. He said, it's worth diving into Sewell a little bit more because there's just a lot there with the former Oregon uh, Oregon star who opted out of the 2020 season. On one hand, as one scouting director said, he's 19 years old on the tape from 2019 and he was a man on the film. On the other, as another exec says, maturity remains an issue. There's a lot to sort through there, he says in a quote, and there are lapses in play too. He doesn't dominate all the time, but he's a great athlete. Not quotes here. And he's also right there with Micah Parsons and Alabama's Christian Barmore as fantastic talents with character flags and guys who might have a harder time dispelling questions this year than they would in a normal year because of a lack of opportunity to do so in person with teams. So I'm a little frightened, and I hadn't heard Micah Parsons as character concerns. I hadn't seen a lot about Christian Barmore, who to me, seemed like a, an automatic. But if you've got that on your draft board for these guys, and you're not, you know, you're never going to be totally sure. But if you don't feel really good, I, I would tend to go to the next guy. <laughs> I would tend to narrow it and, and have something about people you feel totally good about. Now, there are going to be people uh, teams that feel good about taking the risk and they're going to say we feel so good about our scouting that some of these teams are going to be scared off and we're going to be able to take advantage of that market where people are scared off of these character concerns for lack of a better expression and we're going to be able to manipulate the market here right and if somebody's going to score down Parsons or Barmore because of some character concern and they're playing it safe the way Paul Kuharski's talking about it. That's going to create a market inefficiency and we're going to be able to, to get a guy who's five picks better than we should have gotten and that's going to be a home run for us. Another thing that Breer points out is that Urban Meyer and, uh, and Rule in, in Carolina recruited a lot of these guys not long ago and they have real insight into them for over a long haul of time which is a real benefit to not long ago college coaches. And that's a bonus for Jacksonville and for Carolina. But I'm playing it safer. And I'm also, I admit, my glasses are a little Titans tainted because they just got burned, and we live in Nashville, by a huge character miss on Isaiah Wilson. So our hometown team, I think, really needs to play it careful. Because if they have a character, any kind of character miss, they're lit on fire. Well, and aren't we finding out also that the worst character flaw a prospect can possess is the lack of a love of playing football? I mean, you can almost deal with some other things if they've been in trouble in their past, if there are other... I mean, I'm, I'm not talking just as a human being necessarily about character flaws, but 
if I hear doesn't really love football about someone or a questionable work ethic, that to me is the biggest character flaw that one of these prospects can I possess. I think that's often what they're talking about, though. Maturity is a big umbrella, and immaturity fits like, you know, uh, he's great when he loves it, but he's distracted or he's immature with his work habits. I think that ties into a good share of the maturity umbrella, and you have to know what you can pull out of a guy, and this is a big part of projecting. Well, with Panay Sewell, the only thing I've seen knocking the guy, and he's going to be a top five pick, uh, we, we presume. The only thing I've seen knocking the guy is uh, physicality, you know, off, off the line of scrimmage. I, I haven't read anything that's off the field right. with him. And I, I think a lot of people see character flaw or concerns within an organization about a player and think there's something going on behind the scenes. That thing behind the scenes may just be what Chad's pointing out. The drive to effort. improve and effort. Uh, Dedication. I, I couldn't find anything with Dane Brugler in, in, in The Athletic and his write-up or in Detillier about Panay Sewell specifically. Um, but, Paul, to your overall point, I mean, in a typical year, you'd be doing a lot more digging behind the scenes in person with your staff, right? You'd have someone digging up literally everything possible at Oregon or the background or the hometown or wherever, right? You're not yeah. doing that now. You can't. You're limited. And so, and look, there's an element of chance in all of this every year, right? It feels like to me there's more of an element of chance in it now. And if your team's on the cusp, it's more dangerous, right? I mean, if you're, uh, I don't know, you know, if you're in your window, and you're in need of four guys who can really help you out, you're, you're screwed if you miss in, well, a, in and a bigger I, way. I think with Sewell, the other thing is the opt-out year, right? And him being 20 years old, the last time you see him play, he's 19. Um, but he's not the only one. I mean, Jamar Chase is a player who opted out. We've mentioned Caleb Farley quite a bit. He didn't play. Uh, there are others. Uh, so Rousseau, uh, Rousseau. Th there, there are others who you have to decide based on film from a year ago, and the limited workout abilities that you've had to be in person with the players. And I think I you would cross all those guys off give, my list. See, it's, it's, honestly, like in this is kind of going to your thing, Paul. You err on the side of uh, of caution in this mm -hmm. draft. But if any player opted out that had the ability to play, um, that's you know school played football, for instance, and they decide they don't want to play. With their team, but they're off my list. But what see, about if you bowl had game? a guy, what about a player who doesn't want to participate in a bowl game? Uh, that I, I don't have mentality. A, that I don't have as big of an issue. Same I, mentality on different calendar, though it's, different it's different a, clock. It's same, a professional decision. It's the same decision, but it's way different because they played their entire Spain. season, Spain. and they're not going to play. If they're not in the playoff, they're not going to play an, an exhibition bowl game. Uh, that's right. different, that's different to me than I'm going to sit out an entire football season. Uh, for a business decision. I mean, that if we're getting to the, the heart of doesn't love football, I'm sorry, but to me that's someone who doesn't love football. See, this is my personal preference case. if I'm a GM, and I'm truly going for this loves ball, loves being a teammate, can't live without it, hungry, aggressive, assertive. If you're looking for those character traits in a prospect, I'm going to go ahead and take every single one of those players who opted out for the season and mark them off my list. See, I think it's and I don't do that case. for guys that, that right. opted out of a bowl game, Hutton, to your question. I think that's 
different in my mind of what I would do. Again, this is if I'm an NFL GM. That's that would be my. I mindset. think it's case by case though. There might be the kid, and I mentioned this before, who you know lives close to grandma, and grandma's got a real health concern, and he realistically has a worry about bringing it home that he thought was was a, a concern, and so for well, you him, find that out in your research too. If there that, there was right. an extreme case. With someone, then you would you'd get it right. That that would be the exception right. for me if I heard about that and said, okay, that makes sense. But then the other game that goes on is okay. I I I think there are probably some teams that are thinking along your way, Chad. But then you draw a number. Okay, we've got that guy minus minus the COVID opt out and everything. We've got him twentieth. All right. Now I'm not taking him off my board, but I'm scoring him down. But if he's available at thirty five. Then is he too good to pass up? He's available at 40. Is he? What's my number? Don't you have to put I mean, a number on him, Hunt? You can't cross him off entirely. At some point, he becomes too good not to take. I don't even know if, if it takes a, a fall down the draft board. Panay Sewell can be the highest-graded offensive tackle. Well, he's going. And, you, you know, your, your next best player uh, is Slater or Jenkins. And you think to yourself, you know what? Uh yeah, I, I've got an offensive line. I have a, a true need. It's time to protect my franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow. Yeah, We're taking this guy that opted out. Yeah, I think Cincinnati. I think there's got to there's got to be a draft number or position that would make if and I'm going with a very strong position here as a GM, but that would make me rethink that position. <laughs> if there's a guy that hey, this is a second round talent. He's here in the fourth round, right? And he's falling because no one else wants to take a chance on him because he didn't he opted out of right. the season. Yeah, there, there's a number that would make me rethink uh, that stance. But if it's even close with a guy who you're talking, a guy on my board that played his his now year that of I, football and a guy who didn't, if it's close at all, this isn't even a tie goes to that player sit scenario. This is even if he's a little bit worse on my board, I'm going with that guy. Now that I understand, that's what I came in kind of wanting to talk about, not strictly on the opt outs, but just on the carefulness of uh, you know if you have a little doubt about a guy. I, I'm not buying that you've you've got a full feel for him based on uh, uh, based on five zooms, <laughs> based on five zooms, and based on watching him at a pro day where maybe your coach got your, his hands on him, but probably not. And you watched him from a distance like everybody else did, and you didn't get a private meeting with him, and you didn't have lunch with him, and you didn't get to talk in person to a mom, dad, right. secretary, janitor, academic counselor. I mean, even some of those phone calls, you had those conversations, but by phone. And a phone conversation and an in-person conversation are two very different animals in terms of learning about somebody. And so uh, this is a scary draft to me. They're all scary uh, because I think you, you, we see teams get fooled or miss on some of these things, even with all that in-person stuff, even with the conversations at the Combine, at the Senior Bowl. Now, Senior Bowl, I think, probably shoots up in meaning. We're going to go back after this draft and look at what happened to Senior Bowl, and I bet you Senior Bowl guys are do better than they've ever done. It also, I mean, we're also, it, it is... We're misguided by the team these players go to. You know, there's a if if Bill Belichick trades up and goes after a player that opted out. Oh, you know, we've seen enough on film. 
if the Cincinnati Bengals are choosing between Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase after they opt out, we're going to you know, be overly critical of the decision to go with a player who didn't play last year. If that's well, the I, honest truth I th- of, and I think some of, of that's, the NFL draft. I think some of that's justified. I mean, I, I've said it. The Jets loving Zach Wilson makes me not love Zach Wilson. Uh, over, Even over with the I, I'm, I'm specifically I saying for the opt-out year. Pro. I'm specifically mentioning the opt-out yeah. year and the mentality. If you're looking for a guy who loves ball and wants to grind and is going to play at all costs, you, you can have two separate organizations that feel the same way and I think our response to each organization draft them would be different. Yeah. And oh, you know, Bill Belichick's going to get the most out of a player who doesn't really love ball. Like they're going to fit. They're going to find a role for him. Where in Cincy, the thought would be, oh, another reach for the Bengals. Is this going to work for Joe Burrow? Well, I, I have no problem with Cincinnati drafting Sewell or Chase. I think they're both good players, and I think the the, the top guys who opted out are worth it. I, I'd go to well, it's clearly worked Again, out me, for them. But let me be totally clear. I'm saying this would be my stance, and that's I not know. changing. Even if even if Bill Belichick decides, it's not going to change my mind on what I would do if I were an NFL team. But I'm also not saying that Gregory Rousseau is not going to be a great pro. He may be. Panay Sewell may be a great offensive tackle for 15 years for Cincinnati. He may be. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't draft any of those guys. I would cross them off my board right away. But it doesn't mean that even if Cincinnati drafts Sewell, that he's not going to go on to be a great player. Well, I do think you're right, Hutton. The perception from a lot will be, if Bill Belichick does it, I think well, it he really be. knows this guy. He knows this prospect. Even though he sucked in the draft. Yeah. You know. But my, I, I think also... Well, if the Steelers do it, if the Ravens do it, I mean, look at successful sure. organizations. It's going to be, well, they know what they're doing. I, I think, too... You benefited them. I think, where we, I think we can agree here where you have to be careful is if you take a guy who has opted out from the 2020 season and you expect them to come, the, the expectation would be Panay Sewell is drafted to start week one in the NFL on the left side after opting out and not playing a year and he's 20 years old. Like that, that's where we have the discussion. Are they prepared to start the rookie on the outside for Joe Burrow after having a year off, I mean that's asking a lot of a player. And are the meanwhile, Bengals- I, meanwhile Chase, he may be more plug and play because of the position. They run this route. Yeah, you can get him up to speed. To start uh, and uh, also he played with with Burrow, right? Um, I'm not sure about that. I think he did. Yeah, I think he Chase, did. Chase, yeah, he did. For so, one year. One year, yeah. Yeah, so there's some familiarity there. The other question is, um, and, and we need to get into this at some point, um, you know, Sewell reporting to a team whose guys are saying we're not coming to 10 OTAs. Another offseason like that, yeah. And, uh, and even a mandatory minicamp, or, you know, are they going to be around? <clears throat> For for that guy, for the young guy, that's a big deal. Huge. And, and the veterans who are, are putting together these campaigns and these statements about not coming, it benefits them. You know, whoever the left tackle is right now in Cincinnati, well, if he's not going and he could get Sewell to not come, guess who's got the advantage as opening day uh, approaches from not having those 13 days? Yeah, maybe for a couple of weeks, but the writing's on the wall for that veteran who sucks so right, bad they're right. taking a first-round offensive tackle. But it buys him time. And, and more broadly, across the league, it buys those veterans time and maybe roster spots. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a it's a great point, and it's the investment that you have to. It also it also speaks to the patience of the head coach. You know, speaking of what's going on in Denver compared to what is happening in Atlanta, you know, there's there's different levels of patience between ownership, general manager, coach. Um, we say the same thing about Cincinnati. There's a they need to start cashing yeah, in on their investment of Burrow their now. Head coach. And uh, and who else did you mention there? Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta. just at the beginning, they got a fresh new clock. Well, and Arthur Arthur Blank is known for being a very patient, patient. owner, um, even though it's a it's an impatient business. They got a new clock and a slow clock. Denver's got a you know Vic Fangio's already on the probably oh, expiring clock. And we we know that there's a lot of work to be done in both places, virtually the same record, but. More more aggressive on Denver's part, maybe, to come up to number four and get their quarterback. Should be. A lot to discuss uh, at Outkick360 on Twitter. That's where you can find us. Uh, tell you about a, a cool event coming up where you can join us in June. Plus, with some other headlines of the day straight ahead on Outkick360 across the network. Stay with us. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Glad you're with us. You can follow us on Twitter at Outkick 360. Big thanks to David Reed and Jacob Swanson for making the show happen today. Lance Lee back with us later this week. We joked earlier he's out celebrating 420. Tip of the cap to you, Mr. Lee. Thanks to uh, Becca. And uh, Danny, we hope you're awake today. Oh, Danny. Danny boy, is he sleeping on the job once again? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know why you're in the habit of thanking him. I'm not thanking him for anything. Sleepy Dan. Paul likes to take a bit and get legitimately angry about it. <laughs> well, it's not like. a bit. The guy sleeps. Yeah, yeah. you're not, uh, you're not happy with him. Um, we will be playing golf at Topgolf. 360 Masters coming up Thursday, June the 10th at Topgolf. All proceeds benefiting the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Tennessee and Catfish Jake and his bid for the LLS Man of the Year campaign. Uh, thrilled to help out with this. We've done this each year, and it is back. The 360 Masters at Topgolf. You can purchase your team. It's a bay of six players. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. The link is pinned to the top of our Facebook page. Uh, you can also find this link on Twitter, at Outkick360. It's an event Bryant leak. Click that link. You can buy your bay and join us the night of June the 10th with Outkick360. Again, it is going to be a blast. Cannot wait for a big night supporting a great cause. Terrific event. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the music that we're playing now during the break is a big hit uh, with a lot of our listeners and, and viewers. Um, and people asking the name of the song and the band. It's a little-known band called Dad's Acid. Uh, you can search their, their work and, and download the songs. Uh, it's a great, un, uh, great band. The stuff we're playing is unpublished work, but you can find some of their yep. published work yes. uh, online. Uh, Jacob, what was the name of that song we just heard from Dad's Acid? Jacob Swanson back here. Uh, Jehovah's Witness Serial Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> some of their titles are dark. That's particularly that song, of their instrumental pieces. <laughs> that song actually reached number 82 on the death metal charts yeah, yeah. Uh, in Sweden back Amazing. in 2008, which is big, big for death. I think that was only time. in Sweden. Yes, <laughs> only in Sweden. Yeah, they're huge in Denmark. <laughs> I can totally see, uh, you know, listener uh, Evan Cheeseburger now searching on <laughs> on Apple Music. 
Jehovah's Witness Serial Massacre. <laughs> trying to find it. I mean, I'm thinking about searching this song now after that. I mean, <laughs> Jacob really sold it, so I'm, I'm in. The definition of organizational stability. We can all strive to be the Pittsburgh Steelers, where Mike Tomlin gets a three-year contract extension. They have had three head coaches since 1969. In my lifetime. In my lifetime. three. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin. Impressive. That, I mean, that's, look, that's, if you want to, if you want to sign up for how it's done, if you can make it work, that's, that's how you do it, is you get guys that are so successful that you don't have to fire your coach and they can leave on their, their own terms. And that's what, that's what Pittsburgh's now, done. Steelers fans will tell you that Mike Tomlin has not uh, produced enough in the playoffs, particularly. Um, and that's a team that ought to probably be looking for its next quarterback because this has to be it for Ben Roethlisberger, I would think. Though, um, you know. We would think. You never, you never know. I, uh, I, I love teams like this, though, because they have an identity. Such yeah. a. Right? Like we were going through mock drafts before the show, and I said, oh, Najee Harris projected to go to Pittsburgh in this one mock draft I was reading. And immediately I said, that's a great Pittsburgh Steeler pick. <laughs> Doesn't that just make sense for Pittsburgh to draft the best running back in the draft? And it really got me thinking with the stability there, but also the Ravens have some of that also. The Ravens make a pick. It seems to always make sense for who the Ravens are and what they're trying to do. Uh, there are very few organizations that are like that. You know, Even the popular organization, the Cowboys, the most profitable organization, there's no one player in the draft that they would select and say, well, that's a Cowboy. That is a Dallas Cowboys pick right there. That is a perfect Cowboy when they pick that player. But having not just the stability, but the identity to go with it for Pittsburgh is what's so impressive. Yeah, and I've said this, uh, told this story before. I, I was up uh, doing something on the Steelers at one point, and um, old Mr. Rooney, uh, you know, I was invited into the lunchroom. The press were at the time, I imagine, still allowed to have lunch in their lunchroom. And uh, the owner of the team was three people behind me in line. Doesn't go to the front of the line, doesn't have, you know, lunch brought to him. Just another guy in the building. And, uh, you know, I think that's uh, something that's very Pittsburghy and very Steeler-ish uh, that, you know, left the mark on me. Also, uh, you know, for Hall of Fame stuff, I, I'm lucky enough to be a Hall of Fame voter. And in their campaign for Donnie Shell and for others, uh, stuff from ownership come directly from the owner, the, the request, the campaign materials directly from the owner, not from the PR department, with his home address as the return address on the, on the mail. No, no big timerism. You're not. Right. You're not getting that with a lot of other places. That's, I don't. That's I can't incredible. name another owner that that I think would yeah. wouldn't hesitate to have his home address on the on the return address. Fanduel.com/slash/ok360. You can place a risk-free bet up to a thousand dollars. You get that back in site credit if you lose your first bet with Fanduel. Fanduel.com/slash/ok360. Paul, Chad, will you guys be placing a bet on the Braves-Yankees matchup today? Already done it, uh, Hutton. What are you I going took with? the Braves on the money line. Braves a slight underdog uh, in New York to take on the Yankees today. Both teams struggling. Braves 7-9, and nine, the Yankees 5-10 and 10, uh, to start the season. But, uh, yeah, I took a flyer on the Braves on the money line because they were a slight underdog. I uh, doubled up in a parlay, as we call them. And, Double the spread. Uh, 
<laughs> I took the Yankees money line. They have to win a game at some point. And Jamison Tyone. You love the French pronunciation. Tyone. Uh, over Where would he be sightseeing in <laughs> yeah. Paris? At the, he would be uh, <laughs> on the roundabout around the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> yes. Maybe uh, at looking up at the Arc de Triomphe. <laughs> uh, plus, six and a half, plus six and a half, plus six and a half strikeouts. I got plus 293 on that. And Chad, you're saying that's a good bet. He t- I asked him how they're striking out right now. Whatever the uh, strikeout number is against the Braves, to take the over <laughs> every time. Austin Riley might get there on his own today. I'm very, <laughs> in, I'm very into strikeout props. The thing is, I don't know pitching around the league well enough. Six and a half strikeouts a game, or for, or for the pitcher rather, to me that sounds very low no matter what game we're watching. Well, you nowadays. need him to get six innings, right? You need yeah. him to get six innings. Yeah. That's the question. If you hit him a little for bit, for one he's pitcher not is the problem. For the team, you know, with the, the whole staff in today's game, we'll probably easily get six you strikeouts. strike out seven and six well, innings, right? Yeah. Well, think again, I, if he stays in the game long enough, I think that Austin Riley and Marcelo Zuna will get that number their, by themselves. Make their contribution. <laughs> yeah. That maybe two players might get that six number. Yeah, I would probably bet the strikeout prop for your start. Well, no, not Morton, but for yeah, most of your most of your starters. Noah Cunha, ten day, That's not a, disabled list. What's it called? The, injured list. It's an IL now. Yeah, the injured list. I saw uh, an amazing. Um, it was like a six-minute piece on the Yankees from MLB.com with Joel Sherman, who I believe is still with the New York Post, on our, our pitching staffs figuring out the Yankees, and is that part of the problem? From 2018 to now, the Yankees went from seeing 46 or 48% non-fastballs, 10% more non-fastballs now. So... You know, guys like to be able to, to sit fastball and adjust. And they're seeing 10% fewer fastballs in just the span of three or four years. That's dramatic, dramatic, dramatic. The Yankees home run hitting team who want to be able to sit fastball with guys like Aaron Judge and Stanton and Sanchez. And if they're getting 10% more off-speed stuff, that's that's huge. Some of these baseball numbers I'm seeing, we're going to have a big conversation about this, but the changing of the game just in the last couple of years in terms of foul balls and strikeouts and home runs. But it's accepted, though. Like they're... We've got to do something. I, I think they've got to make some changes to the, get the, bad balls in play, but the, at least. But the analytics... The analytics crowd. Oh, it's how to win. Seems okay with it. Like well, it's front, how to win. The front office staff seems okay. Right. Oh yeah, it's not entertaining, but it's how to win baseball games. May I bring to light a tweet that sure. I sent you guys yes, right you now may. before we uh, close out the first hour of the show? Um, Jamel Hill responding to a report from Adrian Wojnarowski about Brad Stevens receiving a seventy million dollar offer. We can talk about that also. John Gruden money. Indiana came Indiana came to play. Seven years, seventy million. So ten million a year to be Indiana's basketball coach. He's a terrific coach. And Jamel Hill retweets and says uh, because uh, there was a response that said Mike Woodson got fifty two million dollars less in his contract. He got eighteen million dollars. And she writes all of this, Brad Stevens is a good coach, but when white coaches get branded as geniuses, their value skyrockets. Meanwhile, black coaches with similar resumes are undervalued because perception sets the market more than reality. I don't want to comment on what she's saying about black coaches versus white coaches, 
But on what planet do Mike Woodson and Brad Stevens have similar resumes? They don't. I mean, Brad Stevens, did I miss the memo where Mike Woodson was a head college coach in the state of Indiana in that took a lesser twice? program to the Final Four twice? To and the to finals a national twice. To, yeah, to a national championship game. Uh, I don't uh, – there's – that's not similar at all. Brad Stevens has been a better NBA head coach than Mike Woodson was in his stops as a head coach. They settled. I just don't understand how it's similar resumes. Like you, I have no problem with offering different coaches different pay no. based on their performance. Brad Stevens is worthy of $70 million. Mike Woodson may show that he's worthy than way more than $18 million in the How contract. Did, and if he does well, guess what? Give me the Brad he's going to get Stevens a huge come. raise to stay. Give me the. I, I don't know basketball coaching that well, and she might have a legitimate argument, but it's not with Woodson. Give me the, give me the comp. Who's the black coach? I, Who's I just, Brad Stevens? I think you're really searching for something to be outraged about when you use that as the example. There's got to be another example out there that's a better example she could use, right? right. But when you're responding to a $52 million difference in what Brad Stevens was offered and Mike Woodson's being paid, that's apples and oranges. Let's talk about Juwan Howard again, and again, Brad, Think about the locality of it. Brad Stevens grew up in Indiana, played college ball at, in Indiana, coached at Butler in the state of Indiana, did great things there, has, has done well with the Boston Celtics also. It's just it's not similar at all. I just think we're really reaching uh, for a story when, when you tweet something like that out. But to your point, Paul, I, there's got to be a better example, right? I would like to see that example of what she's talking about. This is not that example. Yeah, I don't is know it, NBA coaches. To me, the big story here, if the, if the numbers are accurate, it's that Indiana offered a former Butler head coach Seventy million over seven years, and he turned them down. I know. What's he making with the Celtics? We need to look that up. That's a, that, yeah. Let me look that up. That's a good question. He's uh, but he's a terrific coach. That, that is a big well. But 20, yeah. 20 years ago, if we would have said that, that the in, Indiana would have offered the former Butler coach ten million dollars a year in a seven-year contract, and he turns it down. Well, it's I'll say. You what would we think you, about you, that program? You keep saying the former Butler coach. He's currently the Boston Celtics head coach. So it's, it's, not, it's not as big of a stretch when you say any college program is well, offering the head coach of the Boston Celtics currently $70 million. Right. But I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm strictly saying from the Indiana perspective. Yeah. The, the, well, I think that it the means 30,000 foot view of the perception of the program. I think it means they're serious about getting basketball fixed. If I'm an Indiana fan, I think that actually excites me. Would have been number one. That you target. see that money being thrown around. I'm not upset about it. And we always say uh, chase the number Stevens, one target. Yeah, and they be, chase the number one target. Right. I mean, I wouldn't be mad at my school for chasing him, but to what you're saying, Hutton, yeah, it's a big story that he turned down seventy million dollars uh, to get back into the college game where he was super successful, and he's done a good job with the Celtics. Also, they've, they've struggled a bit this year, but they're red hot. I know right now, um, but uh, that's a. It's a huge story. I mean, that Indiana, yeah. I think on both sides, that Indiana is playing ball to the level of $70 million. That is big-time football coach money in college. They're offering their basketball coach. And couple that with the fact that he turned it down to stay with the Celtics. Big story on both sides of that. Coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour, some questions we've yet to ask about the Tennessee Titans going into the NFL draft. Um, and some questions that float out there for the offseason as big decisions to make but under the radar of topics of discussion right now as the draft nears. Also, 
the Nashville Predators in the thick of the NHL playoff and the Stanley Cup uh, finals uh, playoffs hunt. They win last night 5-2. to two. We'll give you the details on the current playoff standings. Plus, we'll get into Tennessee football, and we talk alphas for Tennessee football and basketball straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hang with us.